Welcome to the Nonprofit Growth Show, presented by Nonprofit Megaphone, the podcast where we highlight nonprofit leaders in the trenches who share the strategies and tactics they use to grow their organizations and make a difference each day. As we like to say, if you want to be discouraged by a general sense of decay, read the news. But if you want to be inspired by concrete stories of growth, talk to a nonprofit. Here's to the modern day superheroes, the nonprofit leaders. Let's dive in. Hey, everyone. I'm here with Sarah McGuire. She's the Director of Development at Royce Moore School in Chicago. Sarah, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Grant. Absolutely. I'm excited to jump into this. I um, am in Chicago as well. I've actually um, lived in Chicago all my life. So huge fan of Chicago area organizations. Um, And to begin, I would love to just jump straight into the thick of things. I would be fascinated to see if there's a story you can tell us about a moment in your development career that was dramatic or um, high stress or exciting. And I'd love to hear the story and how it all worked out. Um, Sure. Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is um, when I started here at Royce Moore School about two and a half years ago, um, it was six weeks until the annual fundraiser and nothing had been done because no one had been in my position for several months. And so I kind of hit the ground running trying to get this event off the ground. Um, Lucky for me, I have a background in theater. And so I am used to improvising and kind of taking things uh, as they are and and going with it. So I really didn't, yeah, I really didn't know what to expect. Um, I didn't know any of the people. I didn't know any of the donors. I knew nothing. So um, we had the event and people came, which was really exciting. And um, at the end of it, we did something that I had never done before, which uh, in education we call a paddle raise or a Dutch auction. And that's when you say something like, um, here, we're having a scholarship fund who will give $5,000. And I had planted a board member. So I knew I had the $5,000 paddle, but I didn't know what else I had. So uh, we get to $5,000 and a few people raise their paddles. And then as we get going and Further down, um, people, more and more people are raising their paddles. We get to $100, and I look around the room, and the entire faculty body that's there is raising their paddles. And it was just this huge moment of, I'm in a place where everyone is all in. And it was this overwhelming sense of um, belonging and, and community at that moment. And I would say that was... Um, both nerve-wracking, climatic, and dramatic to me. <laughs> so Absolutely. that was the first story I thought of. What an incredible story. And I mean, that is, that's remarkable buy-in that literally everyone in the faculty that is already giving so much to the organization is also going all in in this additional way. Um, that is incredible. That's really, really cool. Um, talk to us about your background. You mentioned the improv connection, which I'm sure has been helpful in more instances than just that. How did you get to where you are today and what's the journey been like? Well, it's um, interesting, I guess. Um, I actually went to school in Denver at um, Metropolitan State University, and I got a degree in theater there. And we, uh, my husband and I decided we were going to move to a better city that had more theater. 
and we were picking um, between Chicago and Austin. And he doesn't like Texas, so here we are. Um, <laughs> so I'm a playwright. Um, that was what I was studying, and it made sense for us to be here because the local theater scene, I don't know if you know anything about it, but there's hundreds of itinerant theater companies and lots of big theater companies, and new plays are really valued here in Chicago. So it made sense for us to come here. Um, I was working at the water department as a temp, and a friend of mine was working as a temp at uh, a local foundation, and they were looking for a writer. And so she said, oh, I know a writer. And um, that's kind of my foot into um, development is that I started as a copywriter and a grant writer and um, went to an organization um, called the Geneva Foundation of Presbyterian Homes, which was a um, still is a um, retirement community. And I worked there for 16 years. Um, fundraising, writing, and slowly kind of working my way up in the ranks. And um, as I progressed in that career, it was going to take something pretty special for me to leave. And when I found Royce Moore School, it was uh, like a match made in heaven, basically. Hmm. Really, really cool. And tell us more about Royce Moore. Why are people so all in on it? What are, are there stories you can share of um, the impact that's being made through the education you guys are providing. Yeah, well, Royce Moore School has been around for 104 years. We spent um, 99 years on the campus of Northwestern University and actually started as an all-girls school, um, which was sort of formed to be the answer for Northwestern professors' daughters. <laughs> so we have kind of... Fascinating. A, yeah, it's kind of an interesting start. Um, by the 60s, we were taking in boys and girls and also uh, committing to um, financial aid. So Royce Moore is one of the most generous independent schools in the area. We commit over a million dollars a year to financial aid, and that creates a different wow. kind of um, environment here. We have uh, an entitlement-free environment. We have uh, financial diversity, which gives us a lot of other kinds of diversity naturally. And um, it makes people have to talk to each other that maybe normally wouldn't. So we have kids from the south side of Chicago sure. taking the train up um, to have classes with their classmates who may be coming from, you know, Winnetka in a private car. You know, so it's all ranges of economic diversity, um, meeting all kinds of different minds. Um, Roismore is also small by design, so our class sizes don't reach more than about 27 in the upper school and 18 in our lower school. We serve children from ages 3 to 18. Um, so the small by design uh, allows for real relationships between faculty and students. It's uh, really a home away from home for them. And I know that I personally have experienced it in that you can be exactly who you are here. It's not just um, that we don't have all, all of the trappings really of trying to put up a front of who you are um, as, a, as a student or as a faculty member. Um, we have 
a lot of ways to be our authentic selves. Um, I have two children here now, which is really wonderful. And um, my older daughter said to me, I asked her why she was so quiet in class. She's real smart. She's very outspoken. And she said, Mom, at Royce Moore, I can be quiet. I don't have to be loud anymore to be heard. And that really, yeah, right? Mm -hmm. It like sends it right home for me. So um, that's that's really what it what what it means to me um last year we graduated some kids that were pretty remarkable we had five lifers which we call our kids who are with us from pre-k basically to senior year five of them one of them was a student i got to interact with as the yearbook co-sponsor so i get to get um down in the trenches with the kids in in class every day um but this kid was real quiet and didn't really have a a voice until he discovered that he liked to design. And in yearbook, he was given the yearbook to design. And mm. he discovered that he was good at it. And he got into Chapman College in California. Another student that we had last year that was a big impact for all of us was wow. a young man who came from Afghanistan. We have uh, about 20% of our upper school are international students, and usually international students don't receive any kind of financial aid. This young man found us because his teacher in Kabul told him that he needed to get out and gave him a list of 300 schools to research. And he found us, and we were the only ones that offered him any kind of help. His family uh, scraped together what they could to get him here. And then for the two years that we had him here, uh, our community really came together to support this kid. And um, he has also earned a very, very rare milepost scholarship through Warren Wilson College that uh, gives him a full ride, which is also very rare to get for an international student. The kid's going to be somebody someday, and he never, uh-huh. ever would have had that chance anywhere else. Wow. That is such an incredible story. I love this question um, in particular, not only because I learned so much and, and I'm so inspired by all the stories, but I love, um, it's just it's just cool hearing how you're able to relate like the heart of these situations and the life change that happens for these kids. Um, I feel like that is in itself a lesson in like development done right. Um, so thank you. Yeah. That is, that is so cool. Um, are there, are there other, um, in addition to the storytelling and the making it personal and the relationships, are there other, um, approaches or tactics or strategies that you found to be particularly helpful in your fundraising work that, um, maybe other folks aren't yet trying out in their own contexts? Uh, I'm sure that people know this, but Um, my number one thing is honesty. Um, I find authentic relationships to be the best relationships. And, um, if you're honest with your donor about why you're asking them, um, if you're honest with your, um, your volunteers about why you need them, they want to help. Your heart is communicating to their heart. And I feel like just being real is is the best tool you can have are there times where you feel like it's harder to be um to be as real or to be as transparent um and maybe you've taken the risk and you've done it and 
and it's worked out for you? Are there stories that you could share along those lines? Well, yeah, I think that the the hardest time it is to be honest with people is when you have a leveled relationship with them. So for me at the school, I have I'm a parent. And so I have friendships with this village of people that's helping raise my kids. And and sure. yes, I have to turn around and ask them to help. And they know that um, we as faculty get some some help with with tuition. And I the first time I said that to them, I found it hard to say, hmm. yeah, your your annual fund dollars do support the fact that my kids are here. You know, it was difficult because I didn't want them to think that I was taking advantage or looking at that benefit as anything more than the gift that it is. And so, you know, when you you try to be an authentic person, when you're examining your relationships with people and you feel like you don't, you want them to feel that, right? And so I guess that's, that's kind of my awkward way of talking around the fact that it's, it's hard to be that real, but it's so important to for me as a human being and for um, the way that I fundraise. I know that a lot of people in my field yeah. often don't want to get that personal or that um, vulnerable, hmm. um, but I have found that it's the only way that I can make what I'm doing in asking somebody for something so personal, authentic. Absolutely. No, that's great. And thanks for Thanks for even um, with me just now, like going, you know, that 10% deeper and really sharing, because that's, that's enormously helpful. Um, and um, I think it's encouraging to hear stories about how, when we are vulnerable, that that vulnerability is honored and that maybe it makes people feel more comfortable being vulnerable with us as well, or taking the conversation to a new level. Um, speaking of deeply personal interactions between human beings. Let's talk about direct mail. That is the topic that we have chosen as our mock debate. And um, the question that we have at hand is, is direct mail worth it? And we'll say, you know, by and large, and there are obviously nuances that you can put there, but um, which side of that would you like to take? Would you like to take the yes, it is typically worth it or no, it is typically not? I'm going to say yes. It is perfectly it. worth it. <laughs> Perfect. And I will I will attempt to argue against that. So let's dive in. Would you like to make an opening statement on the virtues of direct mail? <laughs> um, the virtues of direct mail, I would say, is it's the one chance that you get to have someone hold your story in their hands. I feel like that's a vital component to understanding um, and to really accept what you are saying. We spend so much time with our screens. We spend so much time flipping through emails and scrolling through social media that a letter in your hand will really punch that story home. Interesting. Okay, that's a pretty strong argument. Now I'm going to have to try and come back against that. Um, Wouldn't you say that in the digital world, so much of our communication is being received through channels like email and um we're used to that and that is that is how we um acquire useful information um you know these days when uh when kids in your program get accepted to college they will probably first find out about it through a email or you know a, an application portal through a screen and it still carries that same emotional weight 
um, and that same gravitas because of the message, even if the medium is is more ethereal. And isn't it good stewardship of the limited resources that we have to use channels like email or digital platforms that are free and don't cost money for production and distribution and shipping and all of those factors? Yeah, I, I could see that. Um, but I don't think that that outweighs the um, the balance of having something in your hand. You talk about um, kids getting into college and looking at colleges. They still carry around a little guidebook. They still want something that they can go back to. And I feel like that's what that annual fund letter um, does. I feel like you open it up and you read it and you maybe stick it in your day planner or you stick it in your in your folder and you don't it doesn't you don't forget about it if you've had it in your hand i feel like we we spend so much time um consuming media and deleting emails and you think about how many times do you send the same email to the same person reminding them that they do want to give um when you send a handwritten note when you send a letter that has been signed with a ps it may get a little bit more attention I just feel like direct mail is not dead yet. I love it. I I actually do have to agree with you. I I think you uh, I think you won that one. But thanks for letting me put up a fight. Um, you know, it's so true. It's funny. We even yeah. we even even in our work, like we do, we help nonprofits with marketing, and we're thinking about like we got to start mailing people more. When we take on a new client, we send them all this info. We should be mailing it to them because then it's physical. It's on your desk. It's a reminder. Um, you can hold it in your hand. To your point, so. I love that. Um, Let's jump into some rapid fire questions. The questions will be rapid. The answers certainly don't have to be, but uh, this first one might be, if you could describe yourself in one word, what would you say? Uh, This is kind of hard because it feels braggy, but I would say kind. I love it. I love it. No, tell us more about that. I I love that this is you being authentic. It's perfect. my face is like on fire. I'm glad you can't see me. Um, but now I've told you. So <laughs> um, I feel like uh, I just really care about people. And I I want to give the experience of kindness to everyone that I meet, whether it's somebody that I'm working with as a donor or the person that I'm checking out in line. I I am the person that always asks the bagger or the checkout person um, if they are also having a good day. And hmm. the um, the shock that sometimes comes from those people um, that are giving me a service is kind of overwhelming um, that they're like, nobody asks me that. And I'm like, well, you're a person. You know, you deserve hmm. to be treated like a human being. And, and I just think that's what kindness is, is treating each other how we want to be treated. And most of us want to be treated with kindness. Mm. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Um, I love that. Um, is there an exciting shift or a um, sort of change that you are seeing taking place in the development world today or in the nonprofit world that is exciting for you or hopeful for you? I would go right back to um, that talking about honesty. I think that one of the bigger things that we're hearing, and and usually in the nonprofit world, we hear this as transparency, that more and more people want to know exactly what you're doing with their dollars. 
but I think that comes down to more than where we are spending money that they're giving. It comes down to are we treating and are we stewarding them with, with complete honesty? And I see more and more people and organizations being very clear about their direction and very clear about um, where dollars are allocated. And, that, and I really appreciate that. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, that's a trend that I've been seeing as well. And likewise, I'm encouraged by. Um, and on the no- topic of encouragement, are there folks, um, we love giving shout outs on the show, are there folks who are maybe also nonprofit professionals at other organizations, perhaps in roles similar to yours, that have been helpful or inspirational or encouraging to you throughout your journey that you kind of want to give a shout out to? <laughs> Uh, sure. I I would like to uh, shout out to one of my first mentors, and that's um, Mary Beth Migret. She's with Migret Consulting. She was my very first boss at uh, Presbyterian Homes, the Geneva Foundation, and has stayed with me through the years. Um, another colleague from that same job is Susan Trippi Delano. She is with Rise Consulting. She started her own business. and. Um, Although I don't consult with her, I follow her on Facebook and she'll post things that are that just make me feel better about what I'm doing every day. Um, and then another person I'd like to shout out to is a, a good friend. His name is Lou Aducci and he's at Extra Life. And they're doing something kind of incredible and that's they play video games and people give money toward the Children's Medical Network for um, children's hospitals across the country. And I just think that's uh, the coolest thing I've ever heard of is playing video games um, in order to like like a video game a thon. Um, so I I'd like to shout out to him for living his dream and and doing uh, what he loves to do in his spare time for others. So I thought that was pretty cool. That is so cool. It's funny I've heard of that, and I think a number of our team members at Nonprofit Megaphone participate in that because we have some gamers on the team and they, um, I think they did that last year. Anyway, I'll have to check. That's so fun that um, that you have a connection there as well. Um, and then expanding it out, are there, and you sort of mentioned this already, but are there nonprofit thought leaders or authors or sort of influencer type people whose content or speeches or writings have been helpful to you? Yeah, I got to go old school on this one. Um, video games was new school. This guy, Gerald Panis, uh, he's like 91 years old now, but he wrote uh, so much about how to build relationships with people and how to get that visit and how the art of asking. Um, and I will continually go back to his writings and say, wow, he really still gets it, even though it's you know, published in, gosh, I don't know, the 80s or the 90s. And and he himself is, you know, well beyond what any of us would consider retirement age. Um, But I do, I do still find that inspiring. I love it. Um, It's interesting. I've noticed, or one of the observations I've made is that I've become more experienced. Initially, I was very focused on the tactics. And that's actually, in many ways, how we started out this interview. What are the tactics? What are the little tips and tricks that can get you there. And it's been interesting for me to see how some of the like wisdom, quote unquote, um, or the the bigger insights make more sense as I've become more experienced. I'd love to hear from you. Are there 
concepts or things or realities that you would say you appreciate a lot more now than you did maybe a decade ago? Um, hmm. I have to think about this one a little bit. I think that the the art of conversation um, is really um, more important than we all think it is. You know, hmm. it's it's that we are so focused on tasks and and moving one person to the next thing, whether it's in, you know, life or fundraising, which, you know, is equal to me. Um, but that just having a simple conversation with someone can reveal so much. And even when you like want to, to even when you have an end in mind, if you can kind of put those notes aside and say, I'm just going to talk to this person. Um, and they, they could just talk to me. It doesn't matter if their, you know, net worth is, you know, $4.3 billion and mine is $4. Um, we're still human beings and we still can have a conversation with each other. And I think that is the, the biggest thing that I've learned over the years is, is that that conversation matters no matter who you're having it with. I love it. Succinctly put. Sarah, thank you so much. This has been so fun. I feel like I've learned a lot. Um, not only on the tactical side, but also just it's fun seeing how you carry yourself and how you relate to your organization and the work you do and the people you work with. Um, it's inspiring. So thank you. Thank you for taking the time. I'm sure there are a thousand and one other things that you could be doing um, today. Um, where can folks find you online if they want to learn more about you, if they want to learn more about the school, where should they look? Sure. Well, you can find us on Facebook. Royce Moore School is on Facebook, and so am I under Sarah Keeley McGuire. And I can be found also on LinkedIn. You can find Royce Moore School on the web at www.roycemoreschool.org. And there's a little blurb about me there, too, under the Giving tab. I love it. Thank you, Sarah. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been great. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Growth Show, presented by Nonprofit Megaphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or giving us a rating or review on your favorite podcast network. We appreciate your support. Until next time.